Hello, welcome to another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast, fresh off our first JLT game against Melbourne, where we had a win by 12 points. Not that the result matters a great deal in terms of numbers, but it was good to see the boys back out there having a run around. With me tonight, I'm joined by the same crew as last week, um, as we had a pretty good response to our first episode of the year, so I thought, why not get the same guys back and discuss more football? So, Grokadok, welcome back to you, mate. Cheers, mate. Pleasure to be back. And Captain Blood 17, welcome back to you. Good evening, everybody. How are we tonight? Much more pleasant introduction there compared to last time. We're at the 42nd mark, so this is a positive step so far. Good good day, chaps. How do you do? Yes, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And last but not least, the Lounge Lizard. Welcome back to you. Hello, lads. Uh, Hello, listeners. Um, Yeah. Now, firstly, I I know the other two watched the game. I know you've got a bit of a habit of finding other... Uh, outside activities to occupy yourself with while our games are on. Did you watch the game? I did. Oh, very good. Okay, so we're in for a good discussion tonight then, folks. The lounge lizard is onto the wall. Uh, yeah, I actually got an idea of what's going on this time. Oh, that's good. That's very good to hear. We'll actually start with you, lounge lizard, because I'm not sure if many people know, but you are heavily into your music, bit of a musician, and uh, we've seen some photos up on Facebook with you wearing some platform shoes, which really caught my attention. And I thought, I have to ask you why, because knowing you, that there's a story behind it and it's going to be a cracker. So what's the go with the platform shoes when you're performing? Yeah, so um, very influenced with my own prog rock and glam rock of the 70s. Um, you said the early Bowie, early Queen and uh, uh, Sweet, you know, any, any, those sort of bands, I suppose. And, when doing my own performing, um, uh, I've sort of decided to take on to that glam look, sort of the makeup, the costumes, the sort of smoke machines, and obviously the shoes. Um, now, it is worth noting that I am like nine foot tall. Um, so that's not why I bought them, not at all. Um, but yeah, I've been sort of thinking, oh, should I get a pair? Should I get a pair? I don't know, you know what I mean? Uh, and then got very drunk one night and uh, got onto eBay. Um, which I'm sure a few Everyone's people have done, done a drunk before. eBay purchase. Yeah, and but I completely forgot I bought these things. And uh, weeks later, this box came at my door from a, a costumes shop. I thought, oh, no, I no idea what this is. Um, and I opened the box, and sort of in front of everyone, I was sort of trying to pretend to be a bit coy and cool about, like, oh, this is weird. I wonder what this. Haha, <laughs> must have been drunk. But what I was actually thinking is fucking brilliant i mean bloody brilliant <laughs> and um so, sorry for that listeners uh just in in our heads we'll pretend that never happened just like when we edit on the post-show program um yeah and, and these shoes came and then i thought brilliant uh, you know fantastic they're white they've got a massive heel and sole that's sort of about a couple of inches high and i thought i'd just drive to my gig in them right and save me putting them on oh, when i get there which is not something I recommend. The females on on the board uh, will totally understand um, when I say driving in high heels is not a go. Um, uh, Driving in those was genuinely, genuinely dangerous. I couldn't feel the pedals. I couldn't feel, I couldn't even see where they were. I was obstructed by my own heel um, and had a lot of very close runs 
getting to the venue. And since then, I've learned to take them off as I as I get in the car. So essentially, yes, the, Mr. Bean driving his car on top of it with a broomstick was much safer than what you were doing <laughs> with heels on. Yeah, and like the only way to visually describe that is imagine Mr. Bean doing that in like leather pants, white platform shoes, um, no shirt on because you know he thinks he's got a rig, uh, and a whole lot of makeup and real cream in his hair with some sort of weird quasi Elvis quiff that you know um, never seems to quite stay in the position it's supposed to. Imagine if he had um, got pulled over, he would have been locked up. I, that, that would go, yeah, you know, I had a gig and killed her and say, right, we're not your doing, mate, come with us. Um, yeah. Yeah, with, all these, with all these drawbacks, do you still stand by the statement that they're the best purchase you've ever made? Oh, absolutely, mate, of course. Uh, um, I, I would have I, liked to have heard them to have been the uh, ones that with water and goldfish in them, personally. That would have been a really good touch. Yes. No, see, because you can get them. Uh, off the store, I've gone back and looked at the site, and you can also get le- uh, leopard print ones. I thought it was a bit Rod Stewart that, you know, but um, you know, he sort of had quite a good career, so I thought maybe I'll just try that. Um, but the white platform shoes, brilliant purchase. I still love them. I still wear them. Uh, they're, they're integral now, uh, and of course, which opens us up um, once this gets posted into the uh, the board, the Richmond board, uh, part of the. Uh, Richmond Board family, get in touch and drop a line on the comments as well of uh, drunken purchases you've made, um, <laughs> and let us hear, let us know your best ones. Uh, so contact across the social media platforms, of course, or straight on the Big Footy we'll, board uh, with your drunken purchases. We'll even upload a, a photo of uh, the lounge lizard shoes, even without his permission. I'm still doing yeah. it, so <clears throat> just so we can all yeah. see what we're talking about, because it's one thing to hear I'll, about I'll, it, but it's another thing to see these beautiful pieces of footwear. A bit worried that I'm going to be at a gig like in a couple of weeks, and someone's going to come up to me and go, "I know you. I've seen you. I've seen you play before." Go, oh, really? Did you? And I, was like, I know that you post on Big Footy. You're that fucking lounge lizard wanker, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you know how Tiger Seventy One feels when you get recognised everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, no. Do if you recognise the shoes and you recognise the podcast, um, come up. I'm always uh, keen to have a beer and um, talk Richmond, of course, which is. One of the, the pleasures we get to do now that we're a successful side. Absolutely, and while we're on the topic of Richmond, uh, the JLT series on the weekend, boys, versus Melbourne. I'll go. I'll read the scoreline now. I mean, not that it was. It doesn't really mean anything. But Richmond sixteen seventeen one hundred and thirteen defeated Melbourne sixteen five one hundred and one by twelve points. Uh, we had a bit of a slow start in the first quarter. Uh, the melts on our board were astronomical in that first quarter. I just sat there and <laughs> laughed reading some of the shit going on. Like. Um, I read other boards over the weekend and thought, surely we're not going to melt like this if something bad happens. And sure enough, we um, didn't didn't fail to let me down. But after <laughs> quarter time, we pretty we, we come good and we, we played the way we know how to play. Now, CB7, I'll start with you. Which players impressed you most in our first hit out? I think I was like probably most track watchers. I was, we, we all know what the stars do, but I was really curious. I really wanted to see what RCD, Weller, Ross, Stack... Um, even Liam Baker, those young guys, you know, he go, what what those first second year players were going to give us. That's that's where I sort of focused on. And if I may, I'll, can I just focus on Weller? And I'll leave yeah, the, the other ones open to you, blokes. So, I guess with Weller, he's, he's a mature age uh, recruit for us, and I'm quite excited by what he brings. And I had a quick look at his stats, and it's sort of funny because he, he was a bit hot and cold with the feedback on the board in the game day thread. Would that be fair? Yeah, I'd say that was yeah. fair. Yeah, 
But when you look at his stats, he picked up 14 disposals. He took nine marks, applied five tackles, and kicked a goal. So um, statistically, uh, it, it, that he was as good as I thought he was for a first hit out um, trying to fit into a new game plan and a new style and a team that can actually play football. So I think um, I think he's done his first round selection chances no harm at all with um, with his performance. That that's my take on it. The one thing with him that I noticed, and it, it might be a very small thing, but it was how strong his overhead marking was for someone of his size. Like he was in some serious contests and, and hung on to some really good grabs. He's he's like um it's, it's, he's the player we wanted Ben Lennon to be. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of direct references to Ben Lennon in our thread, wasn't there? He looks like he's a doppelganger. When the, when the gun hears this, he's probably going to start ripping his computer shreds. Prodigy on the Shout out to Prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, so well, oh, yeah, I agree. I think he had a very good first up game. Um, I think there's a spot for him in the side. He's a bit of a different small forward, isn't he, compared to the guys we're used to seeing play for us. Um, yeah, I reckon we can fit him in, but I don't know. It kind of means that our Butler and Castagna then playing for the one spot to fit Weller in occasionally. Like, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how we find that balance. Uh, Grokodok, what about you, mate? What players impressed you in the first hit out? Uh, besides, obviously, uh, Noel Bolter, who I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll touch on later. The the one player that impressed me the most of the newer crew was uh, Jack Rocks. Um Obviously, he's he's one of these players who who's big bodied. He he loves the physical stuff. But for his first hit out, he he had he was only on the ground fifty nine percent. He played fifty nine percent of game time. He ended up finishing with twenty one possessions. Uh, Eleven of those were contested, and he had six clearances. And for me, for someone like that, he's the type of player that we've been screaming out for. That. Big, hard, contested, the beast that'll that'll um, you know provide a chop out with a chop out for Dusty, and he reminds me so much of Jack Graham, but in the uh, but he also seems to get more of the pill that uh, compared to what Fridge does. And I think he's going to be one who I will not be surprised if he plays round one based on what he showed um, on, on on Sunday. Like it's just. He's, it wasn't just you know his ability to get the the uh, the ball. It was the way that he cracked into the contest, hunted the football, hunted the man. He's, he was just a, a complete beast around around the contest, and he was he was taking out Clayton Oliver and uh, Brayshaw, um, you know, in, ta- in tackles and everything. He was just pushing him aside like they were nothing for a, for a first year player. That it was just insane what what he was able to do. So yeah, he was the one that really stood out for me. It's funny with Ross too. He, um, everyone was obviously talking about different players. Other way, like Sam Walsh just exploded on the scene. as a few others, and for the Tigers, everyone was talking about Noah Bolter. But Ross, his game was as impressive as anyone's, and he's really slipped under the radar. No one's talking about him, and I really, really like that. So yeah, yeah, yeah he's definitely a good chance to play round one. His hardness around the contest was pretty good. And the lounge lizard, what about you, mate? Who did you like the look of in the JLT game? Yeah, I'm going to uh, jump on and mention Noah Bolter. Um, funny, a lot like Grok, the, in the, the draft that we took him in, I was a, I was a massive um, fan of his. I really didn't think he would slip in to us. Um, I was stoked when he did. I'm in the camp that actually thinks that he could be anything. Um, but I think 
with him, it's not going to be anything or nothing. I think it'll be anything or, or very good. Um, but he doesn't have the high draft pick that justifies it. Has to be brilliant, um, which I think is going to work in his favour. Um, watching the game, he looks. He's got this sort of ungainly style of way of running and and a very nervous looking board drop. I mean, every time he goes to kick, you just think, oh, he's talking about flashbacks to some of the players who've been with us in the past. And um, you kind of wonder, you know, like, can he put it together? You kind of look at him, he does something remarkable. And then, you know, he he's sort of sneaks in a sort of, you know, uh, basic round the body goal. But that being said, he, he grew as the game went on. And uh, it's the first time I've properly seen him in, in a proper game of football. Obviously, I caught him in the uh, AFLX of last season's incarnation. Um, but he, he he just grew as the game went on. And he got a bit of confidence. And it's interesting. The question I sort of post to you guys, of course, the, the Bigfoot family who will be, um, you know, tuning into this um, when it goes to where, is can we... Um, I My view is that he needs to be... You need to accept... You've got to give him a string of games to really find his feet. Uh, and I don't think you can give him a string of games against the shitty teams, the Bulldogs, the, the Gold Coasts, you know, the Carltons and stuff. I think he needs to be playing against the high-quality teams. I um, I think you accept that you're going to carry him for a long time, but a bit like what happened with Essendon and P- Paddy Ryder uh, years ago, he just suddenly had that game where it all clicked. And I think we need to get him to get to that point to click before the finals, because I think he's got the X factor that could be brilliant finals but the question is is can we actually afford to carry him in a team that's already going to have uh the height of lynch added in um and possibly you know if you add in um uh bolter as well uh obviously we lost one in grig who seems to be out now with knee soreness uh, and seems to all be being ruled out of round one um but uh you know, uh, there's a significant height difference between Greg and Bolter, of course. Uh, so the question to you guys is: is can we can we carry him for 10, 15 games in the hope that it clicks for him, um, or or are we not in a position where we can be letting guys like Grundies and Gaunt and stuff get off the leash on a on a on a new player um, in the early part of the year where wins are so so vital in what's going to be, as we touched on last week, a very easy, even competition. I wonder. I wonder if in the first few rounds, depending when we get Tom Tom Lynch into the um, team, whether Bolter does come in, and what you'll find is while Lynch is working his way to one hundred percent match fitness, Bolter's actually the swing man between relieving Ruck and getting Tom. You know, Tom Lynch comes off the ground. Uh, you know, what I mean, well, he's going to be that link player between full forward and Ruck. Whether whether you know Lynch come plays for 10, 15 minutes, managed off. Nang full forward, Boulder comes on for five, or you know what I mean. I wonder if he will come into the equation that way, just for team balance. I, I could see him coming in um, for Sean Greg playing off the wing anyway, because like to answer um, Lamslizard's question, can we afford to play Bolter Lynch? You know, have such a tall setup. The thing you got to realise with Bolter is, yeah, he's 196 centimeters, but he runs and his athleticism, he runs like a 183, 184 centimeter halfback flanker. He he breaks lines and everything. So it's not so much his height that, you know, yeah, that, that's just an added bonus in the air. But you also have a look. He's extremely agile, extremely mobile, and he's really athletic. So his height isn't really going to be as much of an issue. 
an issue as if you were to play someone who's, you know, just a big monstering, you know, just a hulking player who has no athleticism at all. How funny was when he chased his ball down the wing? That was... I had that written down as a highlight. That was unbelievable. That you just... I think the commentators call it the point of the season. I mean, it just about probably could be. I mean, that was, you know, and that's, as I said before, I mean, when you see him do stuff like that, you go, okay, there's something to work with here. Um, He's got footy IQ as well. To have the sense of mind to do that a couple of times, to not get caught with the ball. He's obviously got footy smarts. A guy guy who didn't play a lot of football in his junior career was very much based in the athletics um, over football uh, as a youngster. Um, so it just shows he's got natural football smarts. And, I, of course, you can't teach that. And don't forget, so, yeah, one of the plays he burnt in that bit of play was Jaden Hunt. He's no slouch. He chased down Markov early on in the game. Markov. Yeah, so I know Bolt had a bit more of strength and a bit more of a head start, but he's got the pace. And I don't think there's any issues with playing him in the same team um, as Lynch and then Curvis because, to me, Bolter can play anywhere on the park. Like, we saw later in that second quarter, how he sat a kick and a half behind the play and intercepted marks across the back lines. Like, to me, that's just as important as kicking goals, whereas we maybe don't get that flexibility with some of the other tools. So it still lets Rewalt and Lynch stay forward, but it also doesn't mean that Rance and Grimes have to change their role. He's kind of covering both ends of the field for us to let other players keep within their roles. Yeah, see, if if Sean Griggs out for, you know, the six or seven weeks it's been rumoured with his knee right now, it frees up a space on the wing. And Brandon Ellis didn't really have a, have a great game on the weekend. There were a few times where he didn't go hard enough. So that's one, that's one option. But I personally would like to see Bolter come in to replace Grigg on the wing. You know, that way he can float back um, if needed, you know, help out with his intercept marking and his aerial... Uh, prowess if we if we don't have the ball and but then if we do you can he can push forward and provide a marking target and that also leaves Lynch to you know just stay up forward just rest uh, you know just get get the miles in the legs he doesn't have to do that and then he can provide Nank with the chop out in the ruck so it it, pr- it protects um, Lynch as well so we don't have to throw him up forward so I, th- I think uh, that uh, Bolter coming in. Round one is probably a certainty at this stage. It's just a matter of whether he comes in to replace uh, Caddy up forward or whether it's someone like Sean Grigg on the wing or even as, as a bench player. But, yeah, I think Bolter has to be a lock for round one. Before we so, go into a couple of other... Oh, I just want to go through his, his stats quickly. 18 disposals, six marks, three tackles, seven hitouts and two goals. That's pretty good going. And, like, really, all eyes are going to be on him again this week. Yeah, and it was in that it was that uh that that second quarter. I mean, he had nine disposals in that second quarter. He had five marks, I believe. Three were intercept marks, and he had he kicked two goals. That was just a phenomenal quarter for 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 Noah himself. And you could just see that quarter. He just the more that he he got involved, you could just see the confidence grow, and he started. He really got that belief where he's like, you know what, I can take this game and I can dominate this. Like, this is this is on my terms now. Just, I, I think all those long bombs that Melbourne were playing were really playing into his hands. So, I'm I'm really excited about about what he can actually bring to us. He he gives us another dimension in the air on the ground, and he provides speed as well as well as versatility. So, I, I believe he's going to be an absolute gun for us. See, see, I disagree on you, comment. I thought Ellis was quite good. I, thought at the I was start, just going to say the same. Yeah, I, I thought he um, 
I thought he worked his way into the game quite well, and I thought that he actually provided a lot of our, a lot of link work and a lot of run and carry for us um, as the game went on. So I thought, as opposed to Dan Butler, who looked rusty as hell, I thought actually Brandon Ellis um, was quite serviceable. I thought he had quite a good game. So, yeah, just my take. The, uh, the other players that impressed me were a few more of the older statesmen plus another young one. Basher Hawley, I thought, was fantastic. Um, I think a lot of us maybe wrote him off, maybe not flat out wrote him off, but we kind of thought he, he won't be the same as what he has been in previous years and we'd be looking to replace him. But based on his first up game, I know it was only JLT, but I thought he was exceptional. Um, Alex Rance, I thought, played a really good game. He completely dominated Tom McDonald, much to the disgust of Melbourne supporters, and they still deny the fact that that even happened, but I'm not sure what game they were watching. Uh, and Jack Higgins, I think he started where he left off last year. Um, his footy IQ was ridiculous. That first goal he got was just beyond belief. Um, he's just, he's going to be a super player, Jack Higgins. Yeah, I'm so glad that you actually raised Higgins because if I didn't uh, bring up Jack Ross, I was going to bring up Higgins. And, you know, there were a lot of question marks on how long it would take Higgins to, tra- you know, transition into the midfielder that he said he'd hoped he'd become. And, what, what he showed on the weekend um, showed that maybe a move into the midfield is not as far off as some people think. He, he just got involved with the, with the football. He put his body on the line when he needed to. I mean, he ended up having eight marks himself. So he had 21 and eight marks, which is fairly decent for, for someone whose, you know, endurance was something that was a little bit of a question mark on, 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 on you know, on what who he is as a player. So... Yeah, I, th- I think Higgins on the weekend was probably one of the biggest standouts for me, alongside Jaden Short. Um, I think those two were really the two biggest positives of our best 22 from last season. Um, I think they were the two that really stood out and showed that uh, this year that they're with the rule changes and everything that um, that, that they're actually going to take their games to a new level. Can, can I give you one? And it wasn't until I watched the replay. I was in the gym yesterday and watched the second and third quarters. Um, Nathan Broad played a blinder. Yes, yeah, he did. Good call. Was um was a he played a him and Nick Floston on a half back line. Uh, you know, like, I guess the whole back six was uh, played super well. But uh, shout out to Nathan Broad. He was outstanding. I thought. Yeah, he was. Um, it's it's funny because our our half back line actually got a a lot of the ball. I mean. Our top three leading possession getters for the game were actually Hawley with 35, Short had 29, and Broad was third with 23. So it just shows that they're actually starting to get more offensively, you know, coordinated. They're starting to utilise their weapons a lot more. And, you know, Broad, there was a few times we actually backed his pace in, which is something that we know he's he's got he's you know he's got pace enough to break lines but he hasn't really backed himself in as as much as we probably want him to and he he actually started doing that in JLT there were a few times where he actually broke through broke down the line and, and drove the ball which is something that I think is only going to be a positive thing for us going forward yep and what about Dan Rioli's game on the wing I know I don't think he needed to do a hell of a lot but when he did go near the ball he just looked like he made the game look so easy just the way he controlled the ball, burst away from packs. Um, his goal was very good. I think he might he might take his game to another another, another level this year up on the wing. I, the man um, is untackleable. I I he's for mine, I, he's got that silkiness that 
that Cyril had, you know, with that sort of seemingly inability to to tackle him. And as CB just said, he is. He's you just can't bring the guy to ground. He's feels like he's consistently a step ahead of of even the football. He knows where it's going to bounce. He just he knows how to bounce up. He bounces like a cat. Um, I completely agree. I think I I <laughs> I see no reason. I mean, you know, it's what a remarkable position that uh, going into this year, um, we've already foreseen big growth in both Higgins and Rioli. Um, not not to mention anyone else who bobs off along the way. You know, it's, it's very rare that you have that, you know, linear growth in in your young in your young players and stuff. Uh, and and we got that. And it's going to be very exciting to watch the two of them. Um, but yeah, Rioli was just he, he's in for a, a a big. It wouldn't surprise me if it's not a big goal kicking year if he just works his way into almost like what Sean, Sean Burgoyne does. Just gets a lot of the ball and it's always damaging. But you know. Not necessarily in the front half. Who yeah. else feels That's... that we gave Silk the wrong the wrong nickname of Silk to the wrong player? It should never have yeah. been Corey Ellis. It should have been Rioli. That's right. We can, and... we can write that wrong. See, <laughs> yeah. uh, the thing with Rioli is he doesn't need, you know, the 20 possessions, 25 possessions that a lot of AFL players need to have an impact. I would take 10 possessions from Rioli over 25 from a handful of other players because the quality that he has with his possessions, the way he sets things up is probably second to no, probably second behind Shane Edwards in terms of, you know, creativity and impact per possession. So it's just insane that this kid is still only what 21, 22 and he's still got a hell of a lot of growth left in him. He's just, it's going to be spectacular to watch him coming up in the next few, few years. And can I bring something up on Rioli? There's an article, a late article, that's just been posted on the Herald Sun website uh, where Dan Rioli's basically saying he wants to re-sign with Richmond, Richmond because his cousin's coming. So all this talk about, you know, it's always the gloom, or, you know, Lynch and Martin taking all the money, blah, 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 blah. Well, here's Rioli looking to sew up a long-term deal with Richmond sooner rather than later. He wants to stay. So um, there's one we can count on re-signing, boys. It was never going to go anywhere. No. And, uh, yeah, I, I think people outside of Richmond, or supporters in particular, really undersold how smart Baum and co are at, when it comes to these contracts. Like, they're, they're not idiots. They're not going to sign someone if it means they're going to lose all these gun players. So, I mean, it yeah. was, we're never going to lose... Uh, we're going to lose players like we did with uh, Alice and Miles and Conquer and whatnot, but not to the quality that people were hoping we were going to lose. So that is very good yeah. news. And, and even on the front of... Um, Rioli Jr., obviously all but signing with Richmond, so hopefully he keeps developing nicely. We don't want to put too much pressure on the kid, but um, it would be nice to see two Riolis in the one team. Delicious. Yeah. Uh, the other player I want to mention quickly, <laughs> who I thought had an okay game, but I don't think a lot of people agree with me, but uh, Soldo, I, I liked him. Um, look, I, I know he's not going to be a full-time number one ruck, but I do think he's an adequate replacement ruck if Nankervis is injured or needs a rest, something like that. His aggression, his physicality, I think is first rate. Yes, his skills aren't near the level of Nankervis, but the thing I noticed with him is he actually plays within his limitations. So when he gets the ball, like we broke away from the back 50, kicked it to him in the middle of the ground, and instead of him trying to be a hero, wheel around and kick it to a forward, he waited for the runner to come past, give the handball off, 
and let them do the kicking. So he's actually a, quite a smart player. But what did you guys make of Soldo's game? Uh, I thought his game was uh, was pretty solid, actually, for for someone who cops a lot of shit on the board. I thought his game was was really serviceable, and it it you know it gave Nank a bit of a you know a chop out you know so he could play forward because we know he's gonna Nank's gonna drift forward at stages this year when we have someone pinch hitting through the ruck. So it sort of helped us out twofold you know it gave us a look at what Soldo can actually bring against you know quality ruckman i mean Braden Proust is no slouch i mean he's not an absolute world beater like max Gorn is but he he's he's got, he's an experienced afl ruckman you know he's got a big body and the the one thing that i've always been critical of soldo at is that his timing in center bounces has always been off he's he was all, either way too early or he was too late in jumping and that was one thing that was noticeably more improved on the weekend was his ability to time his leaps, and the fact that he was a lot he was more willing to utilize his, his size. I mean, I think it was in the last quarter where Melbourne were playing Declan Kilty in the ruck, and uh, in one centre bounce, Kilty managed to leap over him and get the hit out, and then the very next one, uh, Solder actually charged in and actually got the knee up, and and you know did it purposefully you know saying you know you're not gonna actually gonna you're not actually gonna do that to me again i'll make sure you earn that hit out and just smashed him so i, th- I think soldo while he's he won't be you know an out and out absolute gun he's gonna be serviceable playing you know five or six games a year to give nanka rest you know if we need that that extra ruckman or if if we just want to give nank that that little bit of a break to to freshen him up so i thought his game was actually pretty good for for what he delivered I want to talk about the new rules quickly as well. Um, obviously, a lot was made of the 666 rule before the JLT started. Um, and thanks to Jones Racing 82 on Twitter for sending this through to me uh, today. Oh, no, it might have been yesterday. There was a lot, Prior to JLT starting, all the hype around the new rules were from Champion Data coming out saying that we would be the team that struggles most with the 666. The media jumped all over it. People thought we'd get slaughtered in there. Turns out we were the highest scoring team for the round. So that's a really interesting fact, I think. Um, and it shows that we may not be as negatively affected as what the media um, and Jared Whateley might have hoped us to have been. Because uh, he can I, to get us. Can I just say, uh, first of all, Antonio Banderas looking at a computer gif, right? That is how <laughs> I feel with this 666 rule. I would like to say, Stephen Hawking, if you are listening, I know you're a big fan of the podcasts. You're a genius. You're a genius. Thank you. Because now they can't have a guy come off the back end of the square targeting Dusty. Chris Judd's nailed it. All of a sudden, the blokes like a like a Dustin Martin, a Tom Mitchell, anyone who's a, who's a you know a, a superstar has got yeah, more dangerous. space around them. They're yeah. far more dangerous. So not only have you made us more offensively aggressive, we've recruited a bloke who's 200 centimetres, who's now plonked in the goal square, and we've got the best one-on-one defender in the comp in Alex Rance, and the statistics tell tell us that. So this 666 bizo, and even Nick Floston was saying our, our defenders prefer to play one-on-one. So everything about this 666 rule has actually just played into our hands. Thank you, yeah, Stephen. And it, Thank you. And it's, it's not... It's not just the six 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 rule as well. It's the it's the kick out rule as well, where you know defenders don't have to kick it to themselves, 
you know, to to play on and they, they can just run out of the goal span. They get that extra space as well because that yeah. play is right into our hands with Basha Hawley and Jaden Short from their kickouts. I mean, we saw it uh, on the weekend several times where Shorty was taking the kick out. He kicked it 65 metres. All of a sudden, we've broken Melbourne's zone. We're out the back. I'm pretty sure that led to to one of the uh, two or three goals directly from Short's kickouts. So that's another thing that people are like, oh, all these new rules are, are going to screw Richmond. Well, no, because there's a couple of things that actually play into our hands as well. I mean, even the, the hands in the back rule, that's going to help Jack because we know Jack got penalised several times last year for hands in the back because he was protecting the space. Now, you know, being having the 6-6-6 rule, he's not going to be double-teamed and he's going to be able to use his hands and body a lot more effectively. How is that going to hinder us? Yeah, I, I'm, that kick-out rule I'm a big fan of because we've got a pretty quick side too. So even if we don't, we don't even have to mark the ball on the wing, we can just bash it over the top, which Jack is known very much to do, and I'm sure Lynch will do the same. And our smalls will just run onto it into a paddock. So I think we're going to be looking okay as long as, uh, going back to the 6-6-6 part, <clears throat> as long as our clearances um, defensively we stay tight and we don't concede too much. But our defense is pretty good. I, I agree with what Vlosten said, that the guys going one-on-one, I think we actually prefer it. Um, you know, Asprey, Grimes, Vlosten, Rance, they're, they're probably going to halve more contests than they lose, to be honest. And the stats kind of back that up, so... I'm pretty comfortable with how that kind of sits. <clears throat> but just to reiterate, this was champion data who come out with this fact. They're also the same people that claimed Dumont, Cunnington, Suckling, Saad, Tippenwoody, Daniel Rich, and Paul Seedsman are all elite players, apparently. So champion data, you can piss right off. Um, no one should base any factual evidence or articles on the crap you come out with. <laughs> that uh, puts a spanner in my works, but I'm still going to stick with it later. Just don't quote where you got the information from. <laughs> can, 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 can I just say, though, too, with that kick-in rule, and it won't be just Richmond that does it, we potentially could see goals on the back of three disposals. Well, we yeah, could literally easily. see a guy kick it out, hit the wing, handball, kick in, and you're lacing a bloke out of full forward. It could be yeah. it could be unreal, some of the coast-to-coast we see across the league. could be unreal. Still, yeah. yeah. The only thing I could see these new rules... Uh, affecting us will be seeing our scores from turnovers drop and scores from our kickouts and defensive transitions rise. I think that'll probably be the only thing that I'll see that'll probably be a little bit different to how we play. But other than that, I really don't see how these rules will affect us at all. It's, it's I think it's when it comes to Richmond, we all know the media is all doom and gloom when it comes to us, and you know because we've been so terrible for, you know, 37 years, it's it's still a fashionable thing to sink the boots in. And they, they can't stand us being successful because their small pea-sized brains can't comprehend the fact that we're now a powerhouse of the AFL. So, yeah, it's just one of those things where it's yeah it's just going to happen whether they like it or not. We're get, It's not going to affect us. We're going to play how we play. We've trained for it, and it's looking successful so far. All right, now before we move on to a new segment we've got for tonight, I believe you have a topic you want to raise, CB, just about some stuff that came out today from the AFL? Well, yeah, yeah. Look, the, the first, actually, there's three quick, there's a third uh, talking point that we discussed that we haven't brought up yet. First of all, boys, Dustin Martin, do we play him this Saturday or do we not? I'm nope. a no. Don't no. Know. No, don't risk it. Uh, don't um, risk it. 
there, there was some report about a PCL strain that I saw on Big Fully this afternoon. I don't know if there's any merit to that. I've not seen it reported anywhere else. Uh, for mine, I, I give, give him a run. I mean, if he's structurally sound and there's no injury, there's no reason to be overly precautious. We can't wrap these guys in cotton wool. Uh, and I think he's the sort of guy who will thrive off uh, the practice matches running and run into the season in a bit of form. Um, yeah, I, so I, I, if he's fine, I mean, play him. Uh, he seemed to not, he didn't struggle at all after the game. He just sort of landed a bit awkward. It was a bit sore for a few moments. I um, I, I don't think it's much. Yeah. yeah, I can't see the PCL strain being, you know, 100% accurate because that's the one thing that our medicos and, and you know, health staff and everything are really good at is they don't take the risks or the precautions with our players. So I think the fact that they, they you know, they let Dusty continue in, this, in the second half after it um, shows that there wasn't too much to be concerned about. Otherwise, they wouldn't have risked Dusty, who was probably our most important player. So, I mean, it, especially with the way the injuries are going in the AFL right now where everyone's getting these soft tissue injuries, they're getting these, you know, PCL, ACL, they're doing the whole... Anything. I really couldn't see us risking Dusty if there was anything serious like a PCL strain or, any, or anything. So I think it was probably just a little bit of a hyperextension, but I really wouldn't risk Dusty, Dusty this week. Righty, so that's three to one. We're not playing Dusty. Take note of that, Hardwick. <laughs> the second one, um, people have often called me a caveman and all sorts of things, but I'm now I'm really changing my caveman. views. Yeah, yeah. I heard saying, I thought, oh, God. <laughs> no, 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 no. Only, only when I'm around um, Grogger. But, um, <laughs> but, but what we got is, um, again, the, the conversation today was over the Twilight Grand Final versus the Traditional Day Grand Final. And I've always been a traditionalist, but I'm now turning. I think I would like to see a Twilight Grand Final. I think it would be spectacular to see the game at night time, um, I think it would enable more people to view it in Australia. You know, people work these days. We're a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week society. I think there's a lot of pros, a lot of pros to having a, a, a Twilight Grand Final over a day Grand Final. I'm actually for giving it a go. What about you, boys? Uh, I'll jump in because this is one of the things I was going to talk about a bit later on. Um, so I won't touch on too far. That's what I will say is I'm not traditionalist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I am the age bracket that the AFL are sort of paying attention to but not targeting. Um, I think we've got some nice traditions in the game uh, and I can't see any foreseeable reason to change it outside the fact that broadcasters will make more money and they aren't hiding from that. Um, and I think it's, it's the last Saturday in September, it's the Saturday afternoon. There's no reason to change it. I mean, they they've changed, they've changed so much. And look, the game has to experiment. Like it can't stand still. I'm a big believer that the game has to move with the times. But it doesn't have to change this. This is just change for the sake of change. Um, Twilight shit. Either go afternoon or go night. Do a full night game, uh, or leave it as is. Twilight. It's it's a rub. It's not. It's rubbish if you're at the ground. If you get the sun. Um, it's it makes no difference to people. People are going to watch the grand final at two p.m. or four p.m. It doesn't really. I don't think it makes a difference. Um, 
And I actually think you've got to take consideration to what the players say. I mean, they all say that they are so nervous on the morning of the day. I mean, anyone, any books you read or any you, you talk to say that they're so nervous on the day of the game that by the time it gets there, I mean, look at uh, Lever in the, in the grand final against us. He looked ill in the national anthem. A few of the players did. Um, I, it's unfair to make him wait any longer. Just could the uh, NRL do it. Uh, and other sports do it successfully uh, doesn't mean that we have to. I think we're not struggling with ratings. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm not too fussed. I, I get why they want to do it. I think it's very much from, like you said, a money-making perspective and an entertainment perspective. You look at the Super Bowl and how successful their entertainment appears. I mean, granted, they get better names performing anyway, but uh, from a visual perspective it looks a lot better when they can use the night kind of theme and the lights off and all that kind of stuff so i get why they want to do it i'm not fussed one way or another um i get your point lizard about making the players wait longer um some people try to argue that it'll have more drunk people around in the areas because there's longer to do it well if people are going to drink they're going to drink anyway i mean i had a drink at 10 o'clock in the morning on grand final day when we played so it doesn't really make much difference (laughs) To the time of day, I I don't think. But I think they'll eventually do it because I I reckon they will try to see how it goes. Um, Yeah, I'm not too fast one way or another, to be honest. My only issue with trying it is, one, they'll try and they won't put it back. And, of course, if they try, it's going to be a success because it's a bloody grand final. You know what I mean? Millions are going to tune in and watch it regardless. They could play it at 10 in the morning and you still have millions tune in and watch it. Um you know, the ratings of the grandfather breakfast show that. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what time they play it. Everyone's going to watch it and they're going to put it on at 4.40 and they're going to go, great success, look at all the numbers. It's going to be no different because I I just, I don't see them getting, you know, a significantly larger viewer base because of a two-hour difference. I really don't. Uh, and that's fundamentally my issue is that I just... I'm all for changing the game. This is just change for the sake of change because there is no good reason to to justify changing it. And that's what it comes down to for me. Like When they try and justify it, I've, I've heard nothing, really. Yeah. See, I, I, I'm sort of ambivalent to when, when the game's played. I mean, I always get excited grand final day no matter who's playing and you know, whether it's at 2.30 or whether they started at 4.40, it doesn't really make any difference to me. But, I mean, it's one of those things where, personally for me, I'd rather it be 2.30 if I was actually going to the grand final. But staying home and watching it, I'd probably prefer it to be at 4.40. It's just one of those things. I always prefer watching, um, you know, twilight and night games on the, on TV rather than, you know, day games, just for some reason. I, I'm not sure why. I'm probably some freak. Uh, but it's just for me, I, I feel like that... For me, I just feel like the spectacle is better on TV in night games. It's just a lot easier. It just looks a lot cleaner. You don't have to deal with the sun and the glare and everything as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, for a lot of people have grand final parties. I think, you know, having it at a twilight is probably caters to that more as well. You know, you can factor in, you know, your barbecues and everything before the game. And then, you know, you've got, you got you can do whatever you want during the dinner period, which would be co- coincide with about halftime as well. You know, the way I look at it, I wouldn't mind having a Twilight Grand Final because I can sit around, have a barbecue, and then, you know, 
crank up a bonfire, sit there and watch it while I watch the game as well. I think that'd be some uh, a, a new you know a new dimension to to pe- to the viewers you know and what what they can do you know watching the game at home. So for me, you know, it doesn't really matter, but it's just what the AFL wants to do. We know they're money driven, so it wouldn't surprise me to see them bring in a, a Twilight Grand Final uh, sooner rather than later. But I have no feelings one way or the other. See, I think so it's interesting that CB has changed his mind. As you know, we've all mentioned, he's a, a caveman at times. You know, and the, well, yeah, it's additional. You know, but I mean, he's uh, you know he's seen a lot of football, and like I suppose um, maybe it's a bit different for Croc and I. Obviously, our, our age differences are uh, in the early twenties. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that plays a part in it but I just sort of feel like AFL football the MCG at 2.10 in the afternoon is just the perfect I mean we don't have that time slot anymore just leave the crown you know all I just leave the ground on how it is I mean there's so much other stuff they can go and think with and already have I just feel like I am actually of the view that we're starting to lose our game a bit not in a massive sort of knee-jerk reaction way um, but I think it's ever so slowly we're starting to lose our game and they start to tinker and mess with the grand final, I think it's a very long path to get it back. I also look at it for the family perspective as well. I mean, we do know that a lot of families have kids who play football and will have, you know, grand finals and football presentations and everything on the day of the grand final. So I do think a 440, you know, time slot, you know, Twilight game probably suits them a little bit more because it gives them more time to relax afterwards. They don't have to rush home and get everything organised to watch the game. So I, I could sort of understand with the AFL pushing to be, you know, more family oriented and trying to get families to go to the games and everything. I do think the 4:40 time slot is a little bit more family friendly. Right, that's two, one for one against two ambivalent, which is an interesting thing. And anyone who's listening. Um, on any of these topics like Dusty or what have you, give us, give us your feedback as well. I'm um, always curious to see whatever other people are thinking about these topics. Now, um, this last one, we're actually going to do a bit of a poll on because once again, I rode my T-Rex to work today because I'm a caveman, you know, and um, I actually gave Kane Corns a, um, a clip on Twitter about this next topic and I actually got it wrong the more I thought about it. Uh, Kane Corns, you're a big listener of the show. I know you are. You were right. I was wrong. Captain Blood 17 will, will actually admit this. And what I'm talking about is um, a wild card finals weekend versus a home and away weekend uh, against, against in the bye weekend. So what we're suggesting is at the moment, you've got like dead rubbers, then you have a bye, then we commence finals. And what they're saying is to keep the season alive or to make it more interesting is instead of having a bye weekend, teams one to six get the weekend off, then teams from seven to ten actually play off for the final two spots, seven and eight, which I think would be a far more exciting weekend of footy because it would keep the final home and away. Do you think how close our, our top eight is these days, or the top ten? There's not much that separates it. So you have all these teams still playing meaningful games trying to get those top six spots, and then in the bye, what, what is the bye weekend? You would have seven to ten playoff in a meaningful game for seven and eight, and they call it the wild card weekend. And then you would commence into your finals week, which I think is a far more palatable um, football 
version of football to watch than some of the dead rubbers and things that we witness now. Um, what are your thoughts, boys? Yeah, um, I'll jump. Oh, you go, Grant. Uh, you go, you go, TL. You go. All right, you um, you lovely fellow. I um, <laughs> now just remember, I do love the sound of my own voice, so you may make a mistake there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, in theory, it makes sense, and I agree with it. Um, I'm not sure why it just it doesn't feel. Um, like something I can get around. I don't know. Maybe I've not noticed the dead rubbers as much as other people do. Um, I sort of feel like the top eight is a reward for your placing at the end of the 22 home and away games. I sort of feel like a wild card week where, like what happened to us, you could get gastro um, or a couple of injuries or just, you know, have a, a, a bad game or a bit of bad luck. You know, you can suddenly go from a, a good season where you come seventh uh, and earn finals to to missing to a team that came tenth and, and you know, maybe within arm's reach, but actually wasn't better than you at the end of it. Um, now, I know those anomalies can happen in any format. And it, it could be the same with um, the top eight system we have now. Uh, I just sort of feel like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't think there's much wrong with it. I do agree that this bye week before the final, something needs to happen. I'm actually, I've got a theory in popping that bye week between the prelim and the grand final. Uh, and I think you could run a sort of state of origin or some version of something in that week with everyone who's not who's not participating. Um, but as far as the actual the wildcard system goes, um I'm not completely against it because I do like it in theory. Uh, I just don't see how. I don't know if it, I just don't know if it suits the aesthetics of our game. Um, but I'm 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 certainly open to to change on that um, because um, it does have merit. Yeah. See, I'm 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 of the opinion that we should keep it how it is now, as Talal as um, Lanchelis had said. It's a reward for the for the best performed top eight sides for the year to play finals. That's what everyone aims for. And for me, I think. See, I'm a little bit torn because I feel like the top eight should like the final system should stay as it is. But the Richmond supporter in me, you know, thinks you know if we introduce that, Lord help us, should we finish ninth at least that in the new system that you're proposing, there's still a chance to play <laughs> finals. So, you know, maybe, maybe you know, if they bring that out, the whole ninth and moniker will, will lose its, you know, appeal for those brain-dead flogs who, who like to use it. But, um, yeah, I, I'm of the opinion, just keep the top eight as it is. And in that five-week finals, maybe play the AFL-X in that, that time slot, or even as Angelis had said, maybe play um, a sort of state of origin mix. Maybe you could combine state of origin and AFLX, announce the captains, you know, maybe two weeks beforehand from teams who aren't playing finals. And then you could, you know, have your, your different states do the draft in the lead up to the bye week, say the Tuesday, the Wednesday, and then play it maybe the Friday or the Saturday of the bye week, have a state of origin where you've got the four teams, play the round robin like what happened, you know, a couple of weeks ago. I think that's probably uh, the best way to fill in that, that, that bye week time slot because I know we do get do get bored. So, yeah, I think we should probably keep the final system as it is. I don't mind the concept. I'd be happy to see how it went, to be honest, because, yeah, it's, like you said, CB, some of the dead rubbers at the end of the year are just rubbish and just shit to watch. And I know they can still happen 
you know, in the weeks leading up with the teams who are completely out of it. But um, it would be good and interesting just to see how that worked, just to give those teams that are close to making finals a bit more to play for, because I think it'll help alleviate a bit more of the whole tanking saga. Because if you were 14th or 13th, but only by maybe a game and a half, two games with you know a few rounds to go, instead of trying to pack it in and get a draft pick, you may actually still have a fair crack at it to try and get that 10th spot to have a crack at one of those last two final spots. So it might actually improve the whole... Um, I'd improve the competition and, and the way all those last few games pan out. So I'd actually be for it to see how it went. Uh, well, unless the other thing, if you were against it, the other thing you do is the teams who aren't playing finals, maybe the bottom six all play a round of robins for the top first uh, first draft picks. First yeah, I think they need, they need to do something there with that as well. Have... They need to take it out of the hands of just finishing last. Yeah, yeah which I is agree. interesting. I have seen that idea floated a lot and... Uh, at the risk of sounding like CB myself, I, I, I like it how it is. I mean, obviously we got unlucky the uh, the season where we lost our first sort of pick to, I think Carlton took the priority pick. 2007. Um, yeah, but again, we also gained from it with Delidio. I believe he was a priority pick, I think, if I got that correct. Um, yes, or we had a priority pick leading into that, yeah. Um, I think at the end of the day, if you want, the problem is, is the AFL is trying to push for a system of equality and, um, you know, the, the cycle of equalness. You have your ups and your downs, and you have to reward the team that comes bottom and give them the best chance to go back to the top. Um, what could happen is you could, I mean, we, we went through it to use a more relevant scenario as Carlton, is a lot of people jump up and down and go, oh, they've got four number one picks in their in their team. Um, but under that system, they could also have four... Uh, number five picks, and I know it's not there's not a massive difference, um, but you know you just you wouldn't want to come bottom every year and then lose out on this wild card thing to to another team who's maybe like a West Coast, you know, who who've known to drop down, bounce straight back up, um, you know, because you could you could get a team like like the Eagles who come out of the top four, get number one pick and bounce back into a prelim like they did in ten and eleven. Um, so I, I, I think you've got to leave that. I think the number one pick needs to go clubs. Like maybe they need to find a way to make it a bit better, but I don't know. I think if you're going to tank, um, I think the culture of that sets into club very quickly and it can be very hard to turn around. Uh, and it's been evident by, by both Melbourne and, and Carlton. I, I think you may, you want to go for it. I think uh, you really gamble the dice on that yourselves and uh, yet to see it really be successful. So, so there it is, guys. So what we want to know, that's our poll. That's our poll for this one, is the final systems. Do you want to see a wild card system come in? Or do you want to be like certain dinosaurs on this broadcast and you know, ride your T-Rexes to work <laughs> and stick with what we got? <laughs> yeah, no, good question, CB, and I'll definitely post it up when I post the episode. I'll include a poll as well, and uh, we'll, we'll gauge the, the feel of the audience out there. So it's really interesting to see what, they, what it comes back with. Well, um, we've got one more segment to go. It's a brand new one that we thought of uh, earlier on today just because we had a few things we wanted to get off our chest, I think, would be the best way to describe it. So the new segment is called Tiger Cast Takedown. So this segment is basically where we get a chance to take down the uh, media, opposition supporters, basically anyone that targets the club with absolute bullshit or comes out with stupid ideas that need calling out. Um, not everyone has to participate, so I think there's only three of us having a crack at it tonight. Uh, but the 
key to this is is we're going to be on timer so whoever wants to participate has two minutes to have their say and they'll get buzzed out when the next person will go and so on so it can be about absolutely anything um the lounge lizard you can go first i'll just get my stopwatch ready to go so what topic are you going with what are you what are you going with straight up who are you taking down gary Lyon. all right okay that's interesting <laughs> all right okay so your two minutes starts now Gary Lyon, you no good, hairy, whining, backstabbing football commentator. I was going to call you an athlete, but you're not. You are posed around pretending that you've got some idea how to coach despite never putting your hand in the ring. Um, you're, you're very quick to tell everyone else how it is in the system, and that's why I'm going to get into the uh, cheap shot at your p- personal life. Uh, but I had the... Uh, I actually think pleasure most mornings of tuning into SEM because it's very easy listening when I'm driving to work uh, or driving, you know, around around the traps. And uh, I've got to say, the other day when you proclaimed Clayton Oliver to already be the greatest midfielder oh. that Melbourne's illustrious history has ever had, 152, the oldest football club in the world for some orange-haired fuckwit. Um, he's a very good footballer, uh, and I think. He's got potential to say that I don't see any brilliant qualities in him, not to attack him as a Richmond supporter. I just don't see anything. There's no Tom Mitchell about him. There's no Dusty about him. You know, there's no uh, Pendlebury about him. He's your run-of-the-mill inside footballer. He's very good at getting the pill. I think you need to stop trying to bring the attention back to your club as some sort of quasi-Eddie Maguire because you think that's what you are for the Melbourne Football Club, the club that you blew up with your kneeled appointment. And... Uh, Leave the headlines to the Tigers when we beat your mob. Oh, that's it. All right. There you go. That's the lounge lizard teeing off on Gary Lyon. Very good. You come in at 1 minute 35. That's not a bad start. Grokodok, <laughs> you can go next. Uh, what's your topic of discussion? Who are you taking down? I'm taking down Oppo Flogs and their obvious hatred for the greatest defender of all time, Alex Rance. Sure, I've never seen anything disrespectful being said about Rance at all. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> you've, got, you've got two minutes and your time starts now. All right, to all you Flogs, brain-dead Muppets, campaigners and walking advertisements for contraception, listen up. <laughs> all of you who think that Alex Rance cannot defend one-on-one have absolute rocks in your head and are letting your hatred for Rance as a person cloud your judgment on Rance the footballer. Rance, in 2017 and 18 attended 206 one-on-one defensive contests and lost 32 uh, lost 32 of them for a percentage of 15.5%. That is the lowest in the AFL of any current of any defender who attended 60 or 60 or more contests. That's even higher than golden boy Jeremy McGovern. In 2018 alone, he attended 154 contests and conceded 12 conceded goals in 12% of them. That's, that's 2% lower than the actual league average. So for all of you who think that Alex Rance cannot defend one-on-one, go, go get stuffed. You're idiots. You know nothing. That, that's my rant. You, you, you're brain dead. Go support NRL. Okay, that's a, that's a wrap. I'll come in at a minute thirteen. Very nice. Uh, I, I can't help. I can't help but feel that's aimed at Ricky Nixon a bit as well because he's uh, been a bit of a hater of rants. 
Alright, and I'll wrap things up. I, I made a thread about my one, so it's no secret that th mine's going to be about these stupid iPads that the AFL want to use for interchange systems. <laughs> uh, yeah. Alright, I'll start the stop motor on myself. Um, I'll probably buzz myself out early, to be honest, because I'll probably get too angry and, and swear or do something that I regret. Uh, Stephen Hawking, or James Podsiadley, I'm not sure what your role was in this video that Channel 7 posted. To be fair, I didn't put the audio on because... Anyone watching it could see it was a complete waste of time, um, so you are in the firing line anyway. The thought of using iPad screens as an interchange prop to get players off the ground is a complete and utter stupid idea. The video that you decided to use for your marketing campaign, you couldn't see a bloody thing on the screen because of the sunlight. And everyone knows, anyone who's got a smartphone or a tablet, if you walk outside and try and look at what you're trying to do, you can't see shit on those things. And you're expecting blokes on the field who are watching a ball ping around a million miles an hour, worrying about contests, worrying about getting hit, to peer over the boundary line and look at this pissant-sized iPad that you play Angry Birds <laughs> on to see if they've got to come off the ground or not. That It's just ridiculous. Uh, and the fact you want to colour code it as well, and then to explain how this is going to work, you decide to use black... Uh, purples that is pretty much going to look like the same colour if you're looking at it anyway. Not to mention that the only way any of these players are going to see it is if they are actually standing five metres away from the boundary line. It's a completely redundant idea. And let's be honest, this has only happened because of that pissant Nick Maxwell who thinks he's bigger than the game by standing out in the middle of the ground as a runner, plugging up holes during play, just being a complete nuisance. So don't overhaul the system because of one dickhead runner who's ruined it for everyone else. There's nothing wrong with what's happening. Um, runners are fine. They're not getting in the way. The iPad is not the answer to what you're trying to solve. Just leave the game alone, James Podsiadley and Stephen Hawking. Can I just say that it was down in the original thing that I was going to do an Essendon James Heard rant. And I spoke to Michaels before the broadcast, and the reason I pulled the rant was I don't think on the Richmond board we should um, waste our breath or our time on a narcissistic piece of crap that is Kevin Sheedy, the Essendon Football Club, or James Hurd. They're not worthy of our time. So that is why I actually pulled off the rant, even though that's a little mini rant, and decided to focus on some football topics. Thank you, boys. That's fair enough. All right, well, I thought that... Went all right. So before we wrap up, just a reminder, we've got our next JLT game on this Saturday night against the Hawks down in Tasmania. Um, I dare say we're going to go with another fairly close to full-strength lineup. I'm not sure there'll be a hell of a lot of changes. Just be good to see the boys get through another game, so make sure you tune into that. It's live on Fox Sports and KO Sports for Shazza. Um, <coughs> <pardon> <laughs> he, he must work for KO Sports. If you've seen his post, you'd swear he works for him. Anyway, it is on there one way or another. And just to remind, just a few things going on the Big Footy board at the moment. A big thank you and shout out to everyone who donated for the Players Sponsorship Program. Uh, Wacky Tiger and Heisenberg did a fantastic job getting that organised. So we've obviously picked up uh, a third player again in Luke English. So that's a really good result. And we've got a few competitions running on the board as well. At the moment, we've got the footy tipping, the closest to the pin competition for free kick differentials, fantasy football, and the goal kicking comp. So make sure you sign up. But anyway, so make sure you get involved in all those activities on the board. It's a bit of fun. They're all free to enter. Um, good bit of banter as well. Uh, thanks to Grok for putting your hand up to do the goal kicking comp and to Tiasta, as you were called on the Sweet FA podcast, for doing the fantasy football comp. Really appreciate your work there. Uh, but Grokodoc, Lounge Lizard, and Captain Blood 17 thanks so much for coming on again, guys. Really appreciate it. 
and hopefully the Tigers can have another good performance this week against the Hawks. Thanks, Thanks for having us on. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. And until next time, go Tigers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!